Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, thank you. Praise God. With that being said, we're going to read it this morning up front from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, as you heard Pastor Craig mention, this series and where we're starting and what we're looking at. So much to say, but so little time to say it. Man, in the world we live in, there is so much to say. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7 Beginning in verse 1, Jesus speaking here, Sermon on the Mount, it's referred to, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank In your own eye. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Remember, Jesus is the nature of God revealed in action, right? Jesus is love in action. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want to teach the message today titled, as Pastor Craig kindly said, Judging Judgments. Judging Judgments. And as I always do, I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that in and through the finished work of Jesus, you have opened a way into your kingdom back into your presence, back into right standing with you, back into a place where we can know you, not just as creator, but as father. We ask, Holy Spirit, great teacher, that you would reveal to hearts and heads and homes and lives today the reality of the lordship of Jesus, the reality of truth and life is only found in him that you would loose lives from wrong judgments, wrong decisions, wrong decrees, that, Holy Spirit, you would help bind us to the word, the will, the way of God in Jesus. Yield to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I began to think about this series and judging and judgments, the first thing that I began to think about in my own life and observing the life of others that we need to make sure we're all clear on up front is when it comes to making judgments or decisions, don't do it when you're hungry. In fact, they have a picture, I believe, that they can put up. I saw this this week on Instagram. It says, For Barbara who was awful when hungry, but otherwise pretty solid. I think about some of you, and I think, you know what? Otherwise, you're pretty solid, except when you're hungry. I mean, you just get hangry and angry and uptight. I also thought about one of my top commercials over the last several years. I think they have this video to play as well. You're not you when you're hungry. So now that we have that uh, clear up front today, that when you're making decisions and judgments, don't do it when you're hungry. One clarification, though, would be unless you are humbling yourself before God through prayer and fasting. That would be the only type of hunger, right? Is you have set apart seeking God for His help and guidance. Now, this brings us now back to our main text in the first issue of judging today. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. It's a lot of judging. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Someone say, see clearly. To remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, are we to take from your sermon and your message here recorded by Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, that there are to be no judgments declared? That there's to be no judging? What about it? King Charles III's coronation yesterday when the Archbishop of Canterbury said, receive this orb. Actually said, receive this orb set under the cross to remember that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our God and His Christ. That your sovereign powers are under the cross. He made that judgment and declaration. Notice, though, Jesus here, right after, when it says, judge not that you be not judged, verse 2 says, for with what judgment? Everybody say, what judgment? You judge. So he's not saying that there's not to be any judgments. There's not to be any declarations or decisions because he says, for what judgment you judge, meaning the type of judgment is what Jesus is dealing with. Clearly, he's saying we're going to judge. He's dealing with the issue, though, what type of judgments? What type of judging we are doing? The word judge there in the Greek is krino. It sounds a lot like Reno. That'll help you remember it. Who, congrats on being a papa, a father now. So we celebrate with you and MK. But krino is used 114 times in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And out of those 114 times, the majority of those times, it's not used in a negative light. So Jesus clearly is not saying there's not to be judging or judgment. He's dealing with the type of judging. Notice what type he talks about. In verse 5, he says, hypocrite. So the type of judging, one of them that Jesus is dealing with, saying that we should not judge in this manner, in this way, is hypocritical judgment. Another aspect of the type of judging he's talking about is condemning judgment. Condemning judgment. When you think about hypocritical, hypocritical judging, a way to think about it is outward focus before inward focus. Jesus says that the type of judging we shouldn't have is where we seek to judge things outwardly and judge others outwardly before we first, everybody say first, learn to judge ourselves inwardly. This is why he says, first remove from what? Your own eye before seeking to judge others. This is the order of priority when it comes to how to see clearly. Jesus is saying, listen, if you seek to judge others and judge things in life outwardly before learning to judge yourself inwardly and judge your own self, you will not be able to see clearly as you make declarations and decisions and judgments on others and things outside of you. Listen, Paul carries the same exhortation in 2 Corinthians 10. In verse 3, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Watch this. Bringing every thought. Thoughts include judgments into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Look at verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What's Paul saying? He's saying the same thing Jesus says. That first, learn how to deal with ourselves, how to judge ourselves before seeking to judge others and deal with what's outside of us. This also brings us to the issue of Sowing and reaping. 
and how the kingdom of God works. Notice Jesus uses the terminology, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's sowing and reaping. Teaching and terminology. To the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In another way, in the measure you sow, it will come or be reaped back to you. So the first thing we need to highlight in up front today as we look at judging judgments is how you judge others will primarily determine how you are judged by others. See, listen, your judgments communicate your measure. Another way to understand measure is your standard. I have a, a growing, blossoming young lady in our home who has a desire to cook and make things. And she's learning to not just wing it, but remember her measurements. Measurements are a standard. And Jesus here is saying that your judgments communicate your measure, your standard. Now watch this. The standard of measurement you use then becomes the primary way people relate to you and judge you and how they measure you. So for instance, you measure being on time as important, as valuable. Well, guess what that means then? People will then judge and measure you by the standard that you have put out there. See, our measurements and our standard is communicated to others by our words, by our will, the choices we make in life, by the way we live. So what Jesus is saying here is that how you judge, how you measure what is valuable to you, what is right to you, what is a priority to you, is how people will judge and measure you back. Did you know that all decisions are a type of judgment? To decide and say yes to something is to say no and judge many things as no. The second thing we see here is how you judge life will primarily determine how you are judged by others. How they expect, how others expect to experience you is based on how you judge life. See, listen, people view us the way they experience us. And the way they experience us is affected by how we judge things. So when we live in relationships with people, when we live in close proximity to people, the way they experience us is affected by how you and I judge things, how you and I live the life that we live. When we make judgments and decisions about our life and what we value in life. For instance, if you live life, if you live a life of alcoholism, meaning Alcoholism is a consistent staple of practice in your life. People obviously will determine you don't have an issue with drinking alcohol. That's the standard, the measurement you're putting out there. Watch this. So if someone who drinks then acts weird towards someone else who drinks, then that person's experience with the other person is going to be what? Hypocritical. Meaning the standard, the measurement that guides your life will be how people measure and relate back to you. For instance, uh, people find out I grew up playing sports and they hear me talking often about watching sports. Thank God I finally got to watch some of the Braves game yesterday because they put it on the channel that most average Georgians can get. So I could watch some of the Braves yesterday and then Got to watch some of the playoffs of Curry versus LeBron. And, and you hear me talking about sports. You see me engaging in extracurricular sports, the three-on-three -three and playing pickleball now and trying to, you know, engage in sport activities as often as I can. 
What does that mean? These are all types of judgments and decisions that I make. They then view me, you then view me and experience me and judge me through the judgments I have put out about myself. Things I value. Of how I measure using my time and things that I judge worthy of my time or things that I value. You view me and you experience me and judge me through the judgments I put out. Remember Jesus said, to the measure... I judge that I use, it will be measured back to me. Now watch this. So if all of a sudden I stopped engaging in all sport activities, if you all of a sudden heard me no longer talking about sports, the people I'm in relationship with would most likely experience some level of tension and new complexity in the relationship with me. Why? Because the way I had made judgments previously in life up to this point has informed people on what to expect and influenced the way that they have experienced me. So a significant change in my judgments and in my decisions creates a significant change in the relationships I have. Now why am I saying this? I'm saying this because this is another reason of why change is so difficult for you and I as humans. Because you changing individually doesn't just affect you. It's changing your measurement and your standard that you're putting out there, and that change then affects every other relational connection you have of those close to you. And that creates a lot of tension. It requires a lot of communication. It requires a lot of energy. And that's why change to our humanity seems so difficult because of those dynamics. So, let me recap thus far. How you judge others will primarily determine how you're judged by others. How you judge life will primarily determine how you are judged by others. This is breaking free from wrong judgments that we have used. Now this brings us to the next thing I want to highlight, and that's judgments affects emotions. Judgments, decisions, affect emotions. I'll never forget when the 2016 election results came in watching Van Van Jones on CNN weeping and crying because President Trump was elected. Now watch this. And he was crying because he said that the only reason President Trump was elected was because of racism. That was a backlash. Now watch this. That wasn't the reality of the situation. I know many people. By the way, I'm neither Republican or Democrat, so you'll never get me on, in your party, I assure you. But, um, but um, I know many people that voted for President Trump, and they didn't vote, had anything to do with racial tension. But listen, he's crying on national TV because in his experience, the only way to understand what was happening for him was through these judgments that he had made. Now let me give you a biblical example of this. I've mentioned it before. Jacob in the Bible. So you have Abram, who God called out of right his life of idolatry and away from his family, his upbringing. You have Abraham, then Isaac, and then you have Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob is crying and mourning for days after he was brought his son Joseph's tunic the tunic of many colors, that Joseph's brothers had taken and dipped in goat's blood and then brought it to Jacob. When the brothers brought this coat of many colors to Jacob, Jacob perceived and determined and judged that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. Now watch this. Because he judged that, he is weeping and mourning for days. But watch this, Joseph is alive. Meaning, 
He makes a judgment, and the judgment affects his emotions. But Jacob's judgment wasn't reality. Meaning, you and I can have wrong judgments in our life about ourselves, about others, about what's happening in the world, and it can affect our emotions negatively in a negative way. I like what Dr. James Richard says about this. Watch this. He says, nothing has the power to hurt you until you attach significance to it. In fact, I encourage you, it's not a perfect book because no book's perfect other than the Word of God, but if you want to go deeper in this issue that we're dealing with this month, this book, How to Stop the Pain by Dr. James Richards, will really, really can be used by the Lord to help you. Especially if you're stuck in, in what seems to be a life of constant suffering. And a lot of you being stuck could be because you have made wrong judgments or you're allowing wrong judgments in your life and it's affecting your emotions in a negative way. See, listen, the opinion of someone you strongly dislike or don't value their opinion has little to no significance to you. That's why those that can cause the most pain in our life are those that what? That we value their opinion or are in close relationship with the most. So wrong judgments, you need to understand, can affect your peace. They can affect your joy. Wrong judgments can hinder us from what Scripture calls spiritual mindedness. And do you know what a benefit of spiritual mindedness is? It says those that live spiritually minded have life and peace. The life there means reality in their experience. They're able to see clearly and able to have peace. Meaning being spiritually minded is necessary to walk in the reality of the kingdom of God. You remember Paul defines the kingdom of God as not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is breaking free from wrong judgments that affect our emotions. Now this leads us now to perceptions, feelings, and opinions. Our judgments will be ruled by feelings muddied by perceptions and informed by selfish opinions until, everybody say until, until. or unless we first remove stuff from our own eyes, our soul, and our life. The eyes in the Eastern context that Jesus taught in represented the soul. And so when Jesus says you got to take the plank first out of your own eye, he's talking about dealing with the wrong judgments, decisions, values that you have in your soul. Without us first dealing with our own soul and our own judgments, we will be ruled by feelings and perceptions and opinions, watch this, that could be far from reality. We can be experiencing suffering that's unnecessary because it's suffering not based on facts and reality. It's the result of wrong judgments. Remember Jacob? Remember what I just said? Of people when it comes to elections? When we seek to understand and judge the outward, and what's happening outside of us before we first deal with our own eyes and our soul, then we will by default be ruled by perceptions, feelings, and opinions and be vulnerable of being dictated by things that are not in agreement with reality. With reality. So we're exhorted by Jesus, listen, to observe people's actions and character. This is why right after the text, our main text in Matthew 7, he starts talking about fruit. 
And he says in the same context as our main verse on, that deals with judgment, that you shall know them by their fruit. He talks about what fruit is. Words that we speak, the way that we live, the will that we seek to please is fruit. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. So again, he's not saying that there's not to be any type of judgment. Because right after that, he says, you're going to have to judge and beware of false prophets, and you'll know them by their fruit. Fruit, listen, is something that takes seasons to be formed. So he's saying, look at the actions and the character of people. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by how they talk over length of their life, the will that they live for over seasons of their life, the way they go about living. You'll know them. However, listen, though we are exhorted by Jesus to observe people's actions and character fruit, we are commanded not to judge their motives on why they did what they did. See, there, we cross the line and we get into the wrong type of judging that Jesus is warning against. When we go from observing actions and character that can be revealed through words and actions to then judging motives of why they're doing those actions and saying those things. We are commanded not to judge motives. When you seek to cross that line, you have now just entered into opinion and perception. Listen, and the devil has lived there for thousands of years lying to people and perverting us from actually being able to see clearly other people and things and how they're happening. And this is what Jesus is warning about. This is breaking free from speculation. Listen, if you judge the motives of others, you will live with the experience and perception that others are constantly judging your motives as well. See, that's what Jesus said. To the measure you're using will be back to you. And if you're using a standard when you observe and you judge others and what's happening, that's based on motives, you will get that standard measured right back to you and you will live constantly feeling like everybody's judging your motive. Why? Because you're judging people's motives. So Jesus is warning us from this because of the negative effects that it has on our life experience. And remember why this is important, because your experience is not necessarily reality. Jacob's experience, where he's mourning and weeping, was not in alignment with reality. Reality was, is his son was alive. But his experience was telling him his son was dead. This is why the Bible doesn't call followers of Jesus to walk by experience, but to walk by faith. Meaning there's a different way to live, Jesus is saying. To break free from speculation. Listen to me. I know it's hard for us in our flesh to hear this, but your experience is just that. It's your experience. Your experience doesn't necessitate reality and truth. It's just your experience. See, if you have wrong perceptions, if you are driven by feelings, if you live from your own opinions, all those things inform your experience, but your experience then moves further and further away from reality and ultimate truth. Let me put it this way, another point. 
Understand that people can simultaneously have different experiences of the same reality. There's only one reality of what actually happened, but people can have different experiences. Why? Because experience is informed by perceptions, by judgments, by feelings, by what your standard of measurement is. But our experience doesn't necessitate reality. Let me put it this way. Jesus said that at His return, the reality is is His return. But He said one will experience being taken and one will experience being left. Same event, but different experience. This happens in all life. That's why trying to base your freedom or your judgments or your decisions or your future just on what you're experiencing is very dangerous. We have to find another source when it comes to how to judge the judgments and decisions we're making in life. Another aspect that many of us are vulnerable with when it comes to judging is judging as all good or all bad. This is an unhealthy perception. This deals with breaking free from extremism. Some of us, the reason we struggle to continue in friendships is we have this unhealthy perception that we judge that people are either all good or they're all bad. So initially, we experience some good with another person. And that good we experience draws us in. Then as we do life and more time together, we find out, oh my gosh, this person that I thought was all good has some flaws. They have some need for change. If you judge that people are either all good or all bad, you then will what? You will pull away time and time again from friends. This is happening in this generation when it comes to companies. We're living in a time where this extreme perception is seeking to capture the younger generation where they view a company as either all good or all bad. Think about same with political candidates. People say and judge they're either all good That's why when you try to expose the fact that there ain't no candidate that's perfect, someone can't hear that. Why? Because they're operating from a wrong judgment that people are either all good or all bad. Candidates are all good or all bad. I don't care who your candidate is. They got serious issues. This is the same with spouses. You know why some people can't get married or stay married? Because they live from this framework. They judge that the spouse is either all good and has to be all good or all bad. Listen, the world we live in, the people we relate with, it's not that simple. You remember back in the beginning when God created the heaven and and the earth? He created the first man, the first woman. He created a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, that's not two trees. That's one tree. One tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Same tree had good and evil. That's the same in dealing with humans. The same person can have some good qualities can make some good decisions, but from their humanity can also spring some bad, hurtful things in their character that hurt you, that empower certain words from them. Listen, we are all, as humans, looking for the perfect. And when it comes to judging, you need to understand, you're not going to find the perfect you're looking for in the company that you work for and the political candidate that you think you should vote for. In your spouse or in your friends, 
Listen, the perfect you're looking for has come, and His name is Jesus Christ. We have to break free from this extremism of judging people and companies and things as either they're all good or they're all bad. Listen, and start learning to root our judgments in the tree of life. In the garden, God placed another tree. It was the tree of life. The tree of life was a type of Jesus Christ, the perfect who would come. And when Jesus Christ came, who offers another way to live? In John 7, 24, He said these words. I believe they have. It says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with Righteous judgment. Everybody say righteous judgment. Again, Jesus, who taught our main text, is not saying there's not to be any type of judgment. He's talking in our text about the wrong type of judgment. Here, here He clearly says that there's righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is the opposite of self-judgment or selfish judgment. Put another way, righteous judgment is the opposite of judgment that springs from yourself. Your own opinion, your own perceptions, your own experience. Why does he say do not judge according to appearance? Because if you judge by appearance, you're vulnerable to get into, well, I feel like you don't like me. See, if you just judge based on appearance alone, you can arrive at unreality conclusions. You can conclude that, you know what? I don't feel like you like me. But you know where those feelings spring from? As you haven't first, in the Lord, dealt with your own eye and soul. So when you look out of how others are relating to you, you're not seeing clearly... And because you're not seeing clearly, wrong perceptions and feelings are informing your observation and leading to wrong conclusions. And you go around thinking that person doesn't like me, but it's not reality. What about this? Because you've not first dealt with the plank in our own eye and our own soul and our eye and soul is unhealthy, We're unable to experience reality clearly. So we look and observe what someone did and we say, I perceive that they did this because. But notice that. Our observance is informed by perception. But your perception doesn't equate to reality, especially when you've not experienced transformation. Now, I've been in the church 40 plus years, grown up in, in and around the church multiple denominations, multiple churches. And let me just say, there's some great people in the body of Christ because of Jesus. But you know what is staggering? Is there's very few of us that actually comes from a context when we're brought up of a home with a husband and wife who are followers of Jesus, who are spirit-filled, and walk in the substance and the reality of the kingdom of God. I'm talking about even many of us who grew up in the church still did not grow up from a home in a context where our parents were spirit-filled and walked in the abundance of what God made possible in the new covenant. So you know what that means? That means even us who grew up in the church, even with believing parents, We also have a lot of perceptions and assumptions and things that's in our soul that are like planks that need to be removed so that we actually can judge reality and experience reality in the kingdom of God. How about this? At times we say, you know what? I I was thinking about so-and-so and I was thinking about what they're doing. And you know... I think that the reason they're doing this and the reason that's happening in their life is because, and then we fill in the blank. 
See, listen, all of that can actually be flowing out of an unhealthy eye, an unhealthy soul that can't see clearly yet. Jesus clearly said in our text, again, let me read it. First, remove from your own eye, and then, notice the progression, you will see clearly. Until things are removed, wrong judgments and perceptions and opinions and ways we think, until those things are removed, we can't see clearly in observing others. This is the vulnerability we all have and the need we have for our judgments getting rooted in the tree of life and in Jesus. Notice what Jesus says in John 5 and 30 when it comes to righteous judgments. How do we start rooting our judgments in righteous type of judgments? He says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Jesus was able to have righteous judgments when He observed the world outside of Him because He broke free from thinking that His standard of measurement had to come from Himself. He depended upon the Father, the Father's words, the Father's will, the Father's way. The only way for you and I to arrive at righteous judgments, and to have our judgments and decisions rooted in the tree of life, Jesus, is for you and I to give up thinking we have to create or have our own standard and measurement for reality. We break free from our own standards. We break free from depending upon our own perceptions. We break free from depending upon our own opinions and thoughts. And we rooted in the tree of life. We rooted in Jesus. Just like Jesus rooted it in the Father. We root our measurements and standards in another. Jesus, the perfect who has come. And this is why Jesus said in John 6, My words, they are spirit. Watch this. And they are life. You know what life is? Reality. Reality. Not experience. Not emotions. Not perceptions. Reality. Ultimate reality. So for you and I, what that means is judging judgments, judging our own judgments that we carry about ourselves, about others, about life, about our future. Learning to judge our judgments with the Word of God. With the Word of God. You need to know more what God's Word says about what you're judging than what you feel or think or perceive about what you're judging. This is how you root your judgments in the tree of life, in the tree of reality, where true life is. To be able to actually see and encounter reality. You judge your desires with the will of God that's found in the Word of God and the Word made flesh, Jesus who has come. You learn to judge your decisions with the way of God as revealed in and through Jesus. This is how you get your judgments and decisions and your measurement and your standard rooted in Jesus instead of rooted in you. Instead of rooted, watch this, in things that you think are reality but they're not. It's things that have happened to you and experiences that have informed you, but your interpretation is wrong because until we experience transformation, our perception, our eye is unhealthy. In our main text, Jesus right after that, He tells us, He says, listen, to the one who hears my sayings, and does them, life will be built on a solid rock. It is very important for us to do what we're doing today, and that's gathering to hear God's Word through Scripture. But it's not enough. I know and have seen, and used to be one, 
people that go to seminary or Bible school and they are around the sayings of Scripture, but they are vulnerable to becoming made twice the son of hell as a sinner. Why? Because they hear sayings, but they don't do them. Listen, without you and I doing what Jesus says to do, we cannot actually have substance in life. We can't walk in the reality of the kingdom of God. So we learn. I'm going to judge my judgments, listen, but not with my own measurement or my own standard. I am going to find the measurement and the standard to judge my judgments decisions in the tree of life, Jesus Christ. In His words, in the way He lived, in the will that He followed. This leads us also to dealing with this age. We live in what we refer to and Scripture talks about as age two. A major period of time that all followers of Jesus experience before we enter eternity. Age two in Scripture was called a mystery. It's what's called the mystery of the kingdom and the body of Christ. See, the old covenant talks about the kingdom of God. But what remained a mystery is how God would bring the fulfillment and the full manifestation of the kingdom. This is one of the reasons Judas... rejected Jesus because Judas wanted Jesus to set up the kingdom then in the way that he wanted Jesus to set the kingdom up. They didn't understand the the mystery of the kingdom and the mystery of the body of Christ that God was going through the prince of life, death, burial, and resurrection, create a new people now no longer identified as Jew or Gentile, but a new creation, a new humanity called the body of Christ. And oftentimes, we forget as far as the age we live in. Age two is what we live in, but we are vulnerable to judge this age wrongly. And when we judge this age wrongly, listen, we experience unnecessary suffering. Let me give you an example. People you and I love will experience pain in this age. Even though Jesus Christ has come and shed His blood and was crucified and died and buried and rose victorious and has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to our Creator through repentance and trust in Him. Listen, people we love and are in relationship with will still experience pain and suffering. Even though Jesus Christ has come. Why? Because we're not in the age to come yet. Where He physically reigns for a thousand years and righteousness rules and peace floods the earth and and unrighteousness and lawlessness is quickly stomped out and not allowed and Satan and his demons are bound for a thousand years. Now listen, we live in an age where people who have done good for you and done good to you will also do bad to you. This is the the age we live in. When we forget that though Jesus has come and we're in the kingdom, but we're not full in the full manifestation of the kingdom, we set ourselves up for an inevitable, unnecessary suffering and pain. Because listen, we think that we're already back to Eden. We're not already back to Eden. People we love, our parents, grandparents, will pass away. There's still pain that we experience in this age. That though we're followers of Jesus and though we're reconciled to God, and though Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords in this age, it's an already and yet not fully yet of experiencing all that God desires and delights for us to experience. In this age, people will talk. Kingdom talk and yet they don't know the power and the substance of the kingdom. It's the age we live in. And if we think that in this age, the full manifestation of the perfect has come, 
that delusion, that wrong judgment brings a lot of pain. A lot of pain. We say, Lord, I'm, God, I'm your child. Jesus, I'm your follower. Why, why am I experiencing this? Why am I going through this? Why did my family member, why this? Because listen, we're still in age two. We're no longer, you and I, under the reign of Satan in age one. We're no longer lost in our sin and no longer in the realm of lawlessness and sin and Satan's kingdom. We've been transferred out of that kingdom, but we're also not yet in the full manifestation of the reign of righteousness in Jesus Christ, where the glory of God will fill the whole earth and the knowledge of Him. We're not there yet. And so... This is breaking free from wrong judgments of where we assume that there won't be any more trials, there won't be any more difficulties, there won't be any more cares in life because we're now a follower of Jesus. No, there are still those aspects. And that's why we should, with the Spirit, long for the return of Jesus. Do you know why some of us, listen, and I've been there before, and I, I'm just telling you the reality of it, why we don't long for Sunday gatherings? Because our current season of life is too good according to our standard. You know when you long to gather? is when you're in a season where leaving this place is going back to some mess and some difficulty and some complication and some stress of not knowing how you're going to deal with that relational issue and how to deal with that management change and how to deal with that workload. And, and you come in to the gathering as an oasis to encounter the King's presence, peace, and joy and get His help and strength. Listen, that's a small minute many thing of how we should desire with the Spirit, say, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And remove the burdens of this age. See, the flesh in this age will still always persecute the Spirit. If the Spirit of God bursts something in your life, you need to know in this age you can count on the reality that there will also be even believers, people who are walking in the flesh in that moment that will persecute what the Spirit is bearing through your life. There will always be in this age the flesh persecuting the Spirit. This brings us lastly to condemning. Condemning. In Dr. Luke's account of our main text that we saw in Matthew 7, look at Dr. Luke's account. He says, judge... This is Luke 6, 37. Judge, now judge is krino, the same Greek word we saw in Matthew's account. Judge not, remember, dealing with the type of judgment, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Judge is krino in the Greek, but condemn is katadikazo. And what that Greek word means, it means to condemn or give the judgment of condemnation. Now, in the Eastern world here, when you were condemned, and in the, in, in the biblical uh, text and understanding, that means in a sense you are sentenced to death. This is what they did to our Lord and Savior. When they condemned Him to death, the mob, through the influence of the religious leaders and Pilate, handing Him over, listen, they were saying, you're unfit to live. You're unworthy to live. There's no worth and value of you, so we condemn you to death. This is what Dr. Luke's account is bringing out of the type of judging that Jesus says we're not to do. Condemning judgment. We are not to look at other people and unbelievers, listen, no matter the grossness of what they're participating in or have done. We are not called to make the final declaration over them that there's no worth and value in them and they are condemned to eternal death and damnation. We're not to do that. 
we are not to make a final judgment regarding a person. This is judging in regards to condemning a person. Now, of course, Dr. Luke's account here is from the same message we saw in Matthew's. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to declare to His disciples that's began to follow Him the culture and begins to paint a picture of what His community of disciples are to look like. Why was this important? Because all rabbis had disciples. There was a school of rabbis. There was the rabbinical schools. And they all had their culture, and they all painted pictures of what their school of discipleship looked like. So Jesus begins to declare and paint the picture of what His culture of discipleship and followers will look like. And He says this. It's an amazing thing. He says His followers are going to be able, through the kingdom of God, to break the negative cycle of human sowing and reaping. What's the human cycle of sowing and reaping? It's what we saw in the video in the beginning. Of when Marsha was angry, hungry. Tells the dad, says, eye for an eye. Said, dad, you said an eye for an eye. That's human sowing and reaping. You do me wrong, you're going to get back me doing you wrong. But if you scratch my back, you're going to get back, I'm going to scratch your back. That's human sowing. Jesus says, however, though, through me, my followers in the kingdom of God, they're going to be able to break that negative cycle. So watch this. Dr. Luke records a little more in detail what Jesus said in this moment in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Luke 6.32, right before what we just saw in Luke 6.37. But if you love those who love you, say love. What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Verse 36, therefore be merciful. Everybody say merciful. Just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive. Everybody say forgive. And you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Three simple things, but so important for us when it comes to judging judgments that Jesus tells us as recorded through Dr. Luke here. We are not to judge that people have no worth and are therefore not to be loved. You and I are never to judge a person in a way, as followers of Jesus, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they're practicing, regardless of the actions they've done, regardless of their past, regardless of what they're engaged in, we are never to judge a person in a condemning way that they have no worth and therefore we are not to love them. Now Jesus says, as followers of Jesus, we break the cycle that He has made a way for us to be empowered by a different spirit of a different kingdom, to be able to love the unlovable. Secondly, we are not to judge. They have no worth and are therefore not to receive mercy. We are called to break the cycle to be merciful to those that are unmerciful. Thirdly, we are not to judge they have no worth and are therefore not to be forgiven. Listen, to forgive a person is not giving our stamp of approval for what they've done. But we are, as followers of Jesus, still called to forgive what to normal humans is unforgivable. We are called to forgive. We are called to break the cycle to love the unlovable, to be merciful like our Father that's in heaven, 
and to offer forgiveness. Oh, but you don't know. Listen. No, you don't know, and I don't know more than Jesus. When it comes to Jesus and the cross, listen, love is demonstrated. Mercy is offered. And forgiveness is available. Come on, man. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, here's a man who was following Jesus, listen, and he understood he lived in this age and things didn't go easy for him as he's obeying the Lord and living on mission. He's got shipwrecks. He's getting bit by vipers. He's getting beaten by false brethren. He's getting stoned after he preached to people. The goodness of God. How does he keep get up, getting up and going forward? He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and raised again. Paul says it's because Jesus died that now God's love is offered. It has been demonstrated towards all humans. Not just love demonstrated, but mercies offered. In James 2 and 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. You want to know how to be a happier person? Start rooting your judgments in the tree of life, Jesus, who says mercy triumphs over judgment. Meaning, become more merciful like your Father that's in heaven. And you'll be happier. You know why? Because when we judge without showing mercy, it leads to us having measured back to us a sense of us constantly judging ourselves where we don't measure up. When you're unmerciful to others, listen, your own conscience will be unmerciful to you. And when you live with the experience of being aware of all your shortcomings, it's hard to be happy. We become miserable people. But listen, mercy triumphs over judgment. God gave this as a type in the Old Covenant. Do you know that God gave His Ten Commandments, right? His commandments. But do you know what He placed above them? The mercy seat. Because He knew that there's not one of us, not one of you, not one listening, not myself, that would be the perfect one to keep all His commandments. That His commandments would declare that we're all guilty, that we're all unfit to to live, deserving of death and separation from Him, but He placed the mercy seat above the judgments. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And you and I as followers of Jesus can be empowered by the Spirit to break the normal human cycle that where people's been unmerciful to us, we're going to be unmerciful back to them. No, no, no. We can through the Spirit sow of a different spirit, of a different Father, of a different kingdom. Mercy. And then forgiveness is available. In Acts 13, 38 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man Jesus is preached the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is available to all. I'm talking about the one sentenced on death row right now in confinement, in a prison, in our nation because they're a murderer, because they're a fill-in-the-blank. Forgiveness is available for that one because of Jesus. And it should rub you wrong because, listen to me, the gospel is supernatural. It's from God. It's not from us. If it was from man and man created, that what I'm saying wouldn't be true because there's no man that would create the news that for such a person, forgiveness is available. That for the unmerciful, mercy is available. That for the unlovable, love has been demonstrated. It's a reality beyond our experience. For you and I, we are called to break free from condemning people. As we kick off this series, so much to say, but the exhortation is 
the way to begin to judge judgments is to look to source our standard and measurement outside of us. To source it in Jesus, the tree of life. To source it in His words and how He lived and the way He went about pleasing the Father. And then as we do that, say, Lord, deal with my own soul, my own eye first. That God's kingdom of peace and joy and righteousness would become your experience because as you do those two things, of learning to look to Jesus and say, Lord, deal with my own eye, my own soul, my own life first. That in doing that, unnecessary suffering and pain would be released from your life because wrong perceptions and assumptions and opinions and judgments formed in you from your upbringing, from your experience in your upbringing, you're broken free. By the power of God's Spirit and the power of God's truth, that you and I would walk in the true reality of His kingdom, not our own. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.